0: I'm Kara Infante, and this is Bookish Flights. In each episode, I chat with one bookish guest as we take some time to sample and savor the pairing recommendations from their bookish flight. We hope to give you suggestions to cultivate your TBR list and nurture your leisure time through books. In today's episode, I am chatting with Kathy Izzard. Kathy is an award-winning author and speaker who has helped bring transformation to Charlotte in homelessness, housing, and mental health. Her memoir, The Hundred Story Home, has been featured on Katie Couric Media, NPR, and The Today Show, inspiring people to be changemakers in their communities. In 2019, she released A Good Night for Mr. Coleman, a children's book written to encourage kids to dream big and do good. Kathy's newest inspirational nonfiction book, The Last Ordinary Hour, was written about her husband's struggle with rare disease to help others facing loss and uncertainty in their lives. Kathy is the recipient of a 2017 Christopher Award. In the past 15 years, she has helped raise over $75 million for homelessness and mental health in Charlotte, North Carolina, where she has lived for over 30 years. Kathy and her husband have four daughters, including a set of twins, and are happily expanding that family to two son-in-laws, a grandson, and more on the way. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thanks, Kara. So glad to be with you. Thanks for coming this morning. Well, that is a super impressive bio. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Why don't you start by telling us a little bit more about who you are? Uh, thanks, Kara.
1: I Who am I? What a broad question. Um, I am probably first as a mom, a grandma, um, a friend, an author, a speaker, a teacher, a coach. And I've kind of reinvented myself maybe six times. I think if you asked me that question 15 years ago, I would have said I was a graphic designer, but I ended up in 2007 um, quitting my job and going to work in homelessness and nonprofit world. And that really is the basis for my first book, um, The 100 Story Home. And I think my life really took a wild uh, left turn, right turn, somewhere off the path that I thought um, back back in 2007. And something I never expected in my life, but I really am am grateful for it. It's opened the doors to so many things from working in the nonprofit world to being a community advocate and volunteer to now writing, um, speaking about that work. And I teach others um, how to write books because it's a very long journey. So since we're listening, we have a lot of listeners who love books. I, I love helping people write and figure out how to publish, because that was a whole different uh, long journey for me.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. And I was going to ask you that if these changes in your life, if you knew that they were going to be coming, or if it was just completely like something just fell in your lap, and you're like, I have to take this opportunity and run with it. 100% unexpected. (laughs) Um, I I write
1: um, about the idea of a whisper about these ideas, maybe that little voice that comes to you that tells you to do something that feels very inconvenient and unexpected and, you know, might be uncomfortable because it has nothing to do with what you're currently doing in your life or what you thought you might be doing. But at the same time, I think those whispers are very insistent. And once they start and they don't let you go, then you have to decide, well, am I going to listen or am I going to pretend I never heard them? So I think that is what started it for me in 2007. I know you like to ask people, um, is there a book that changed your life? Well, I I read a book in 2007 called Same Kind of Different as Me, and it wasn't the book that changed my life. It was one of the authors, Denver Moore. I ended up meeting him, and he asked me four questions that changed my life forever, and I realized while I'd been volunteering at a soup kitchen, serving soup, soup was not going to solve homelessness homes would. And so I ended up quitting my job and going to work for that soup kitchen. And we started our first housing program. So um, that was all a whisper. It was a whisper that I should invite them to Charlotte to speak, which led to him asking me those questions, which began an insistent whisper that I couldn't not do something about it, that I was going to have to quit my job and go try to do something about it. And then from there, it's been whispers of all kinds of things, including writing a book, which I had no plans to do. So um, I, it's, it's all a lot of different twists and turns in the path, but it does feel like it's exactly the path I was always meant to be on.
0: Yeah. It sounds like it's created a really full life for you, which is beautiful. It has. And I think that was part
1: of it in, um, at the time I was probably around 44 years old and I you know, I had four beautiful kids, I had been a mom, I was a community volunteer, I, I loved my design work, but I also at the same time felt like something was missing. I had a restlessness for a life that I wanted, but I couldn't name or explain what it would be. I just knew I had that restlessness that whatever I was doing, um, small business owner, and it, it was not what I was supposed to be doing. I just didn't know how to find that path. Yeah. And Whispers are, are what led me to that path, and I I do feel like this is what I was meant to do. So,
0: yeah. How old were your kids at that time?
1: Well, let's see. Well, if I can do the math quick, when I was forty-four, they were probably you know I was facing empty nesting, so the okay. I afford two girls, um, and then a set of twins, and so they were probably the twins were probably in middle school when that okay. was starting. My older two were already in high school and starting to approach college. And I was starting to see the writing on the wall that I wasn't going to be as busy. Uh, Even though I had a full roster of clients and a graphic design business, um, it just, it wasn't fulfilling in the way that I wanted it to be. I just couldn't quite write the script for myself of what that was. And um, those whispers began writing the script. Yeah.
0: Well, that's why I was asking because I was like, that's very impressive. I imagine that season of your life was very busy, but that you were still able to hear those whispers in the busyness.
1: Yeah, and I think at some point, if anyone listening has had this experience, I think at some point the whispers uh, become really loud. Um, I had someone (laughs) call it a cosmic two by four shouting. (laughs) That you really, when you go to sleep at night, you really can't hear anything else or think about anything else. And I think when it reaches that point, you really are at the crossroads of, of what you've always done in what might be possible. And so, yeah, it's very uncomfortable to think that you're going to take that leap. Um, I I don't know what gave me the courage to do it because it was completely, I was totally unqualified to do anything about housing or homelessness. I don't, I don't really know why I listened, but I think probably just because it was so insistent and even though it felt crazy, it felt crazy or not to try. So why not try?
0: yeah absolutely and did you have some mentors along the way then that helped guide you or did you just jump in with two feet and learn as you went um
1: i think both i don't i don't think anything happens you know in in a vacuum by yourself but i certainly the director of that soup kitchen um was um, dale Molinex, and he certainly was a great guide a lot of the Um, people who were on staff there were great guides and also knew about this work that we were trying to do called Housing First. We started going to other cities and seeing what they were doing. And um, then always along the way, I don't know, I found a lot of guides and mentors and books, that's for sure. I did a lot of reading. I used to only read quirky fiction, I guess, to escape and, you know, just get lost (laughs) in a great story. And I started reading a whole lot more nonfiction. People who were doing housing work, people who were doing fundraising, people who were working with in homelessness, um, mental health. It just started a whole new, opened a whole new path of books I wasn't even sure existed, and so I did a lot of reading to try and learn. Um, I didn't have time to go back to school and get a degree, so I, I needed a, um, I needed to jumpstart my own education in other ways. So, um, and hundreds of people, of course, helped. We eventually. Um, raised ten million dollars and built Charlotte's wow. first permanent supportive housing, so uh, an apartment building that housed over a hundred chronically homeless men and women. Men and women, and that's wow. the basis of the hundred-story home. It's the idea, not only um, about providing change and understanding that um, homelessness is solved by homes, but it's really told more in a in a novel type way. You know where you're your storytelling and it's asking the reader to think about what might be calling you you know whether it's homelessness whether it's some issue that's keeping you awake at night I think something's imprinted on everybody's heart that they're meant to do and and that book is really designed to not only talk about what happened in Charlotte but really ask you the question what's calling you
0: I'm gonna have to pick that up because one of my questions was gonna be, so for someone like us that maybe is not involved in this world at all, is there something, uh, simple is maybe not the right word, but something that we could start doing that would help, right, because I think we all see homelessness, but it's what's gonna benefit them the most?
1: Yeah, that's such a great question. And I think first, just understanding that um, homelessness while, while soup and soup kitchens and day services are really kind, um, they're, they're really not going to solve the problem. Homelessness right. is solved by one thing, it's solved by homes, and it really is linked to affordable housing. Okay. So when we have rising prices in communities that are very successful, that is driving you know homelessness. If you're really just trying um, to do something kind for one person, I tell the story in the 100-story home about a man, Eugene Coleman, who's also the name of the children's book, uh, A Good Night for Mr. Coleman, oh, yeah. Okay, it's on his true story. And he's someone that I met that we ended up housing. And I learned a lot from him. You talk about mentors along the way. I think Eugene Coleman was a mentor for me just to understand, you know, he was someone who had a job and, you know, he never expected to be homeless. He was a supervisor in a factory and he ended up getting um, injured on the job. And that Injury um, led to a devastating back injury. He couldn't work, and oh, he lost yeah. his job. He lost his car. He lost hope, and he ended up on the streets for almost twenty years. And oh. he would say the one thing people could do was just remember that that he was a human. That yeah. he said would pass him so many times, like he was invisible, like you couldn't see him, and um, you know, just someone looking him in the eye and nodding and you know they don't even have to give money but just remembering that that's a human that you're passing on the street and you know restoring their dignity and humanity just in the 10 seconds that you look them in the eye and smile he would he would say that was life-changing and some days was what he needed to get through the day to remind him that he would have the the courage to keep moving forward and hope that one day his situation would change. Yeah. I know bless, people do blessing bags. Sometimes they carry around things, you know. With children, you could um, make bags that have water and crackers and you know a clean pair of socks. And so if you see someone and you carry them in, in your car, you can hand that out if you feel uncomfortable giving money. But um, sometimes just just smiling and nodding at someone's humanity um, might. Be what they need
0: to get through the day. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Cause it's definitely, cause my kids have started asking questions. Of and so I'm like, well, how can I show them right to be, and obviously picking up your book would be a great one, but how to be good in this world for them.
1: Yeah. And that's what, um, so the, the hundred story home and a good night for Mr. Coleman are written so that they can be parent child reads. So obviously that. it's a deeper dive for the hundred story home for the parent. And a good night for Mr. Coleman is a simplification, but also based on a true story. It has the pictures of the real Mr. Coleman in the back. And the story is about one little girl who goes to a soup kitchen with her mom, very similar to how my four daughters used to go with me to the Mm -hmm. soup kitchen, asking the questions of of how this nice person could not have a place to live. And then deciding that she would do something about it. And she has a lemonade stand and raises money um, to give to an effort like More Place in the book and this is based on a true story because when we were raising that ten million dollars we had some kids who did a lemonade stand and sent us a hundred and five dollars wow. um, so it's a it's a true story and along with all the donors on the wall at more place with the we had million dollar gifts and we had ten thousand dollar gifts but the names of the children who gave the hundred and five dollars are on the wall as well so I just oh, love that um trying to let kids understand the humanity behind homelessness and also that one person can make a difference. So.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Actually, this summer I had put out a summer reading club, I called it, because I wanted families to feel like they could connect to one another. And so we, of course, had a book flight in there, but the book flight included an adult read that would match with maybe like a middle grade YA and then also a picture book. So depending on ages of your children or grandchildren. And so that way you could talk about books that were in similar topics or similar veins. Yes. And have a little miniature book club related to that. that so this well, would have been I a love, perfect fit <laughs> I know. well i love this and then i'm about to
1: i have a new book coming out next year um called trust the whisper we you'll you'll know explain that and it's 20 true stories of people who listen to their whispers and what wow. happened and i'm doing a children's book that goes with it called grace heard a whisper yeah. um so for, i love this idea that the a parent or a grandparent can be reading a book with the similar themes To discuss with the child and you each really can understand it on your level so i'm minor picture books i haven't gotten into ya yet but you know who knows maybe that's next
0: yeah oh that's beautiful well thank you you've like given us some matches already so this is perfect um so when did you get your first whisper to write the book yeah i know
1: and it was a whisper i mean it was we were finishing more place and i had all these stories that that felt miraculous because we raised that 10 million dollars in 2008 in a banking city when everyone had lost hope and lost jobs and lost you know just their own personal you know financial um, struggles so it really was very unlikely that we'd be able to raise 10 million dollars for something like a homeless you know project and apartment building yet we did and i i first started out thinking well i want to col- collect those stories i want to remember them and i i don't want these to be lost so maybe i'll just write it down so it, i think it was 2010 uh, new year's eve going into 2011 i made a promise to myself that i was going to write something longer than an email <laughs> and I, I you know in college i loved to write and i had thought oh my gosh i I would someday love to write the great American novel, but um, I didn't have anything to say at 18, 19 years old. And so here I was 30 years later, 40 years later, and I had something that I wanted to say. So I started writing them down And my husband. It took me a year. I collected it and, you know, I was doing other things at the time. So it was my hobby to be writing this. And I let my husband read it kind of at the end of 2011. And he said, well, honey, it's not a page turner. (laughs) It's. which which was um, kind, you know, yeah. Brene, Brown be clear, clear as kind. So he was being clear. Um, but it, it did start and you know, the next four years, I took writing classes, and I tried to understand I'd always been a reader, I loved reading. But I really hadn't read like a writer, I didn't understand book structure and story sure. structure. And I hadn't thought about it in that way. So I spent four years rewriting that book. And trying to make it the best book i could be and then i thought well if i just write a great book i'll get a book contract and i don't know if you ever talk about publishing on this but um it doesn't work that way it does really does not matter if you write a good it has a lot more to do with how many followers you have and and that sort of thing and getting an agent and it was very um tough process but um i i ended up self-publishing it because i thought well if i've spent five years writing it i'm not just gonna let it languish on my computer yeah. so i figured it all out and um people started reading it and um it ended up getting a that as you mentioned the 2017 um christopher award for ins- inspirational non-fiction which i think is very unusual for a self-published book wow. um, so from there it got picked up um by harper collins so i did get a book contract on it um okay. So I didn't, I didn't see any of that coming. I was really just trying to collect those stories. I, I called myself almost an accidental author for years. Um, but what I did find out in the process is that I love to write. That I think writing is the world's greatest puzzle. You know, you have to take all these pieces and figure out how to put them together in a way that is compelling and keeps the pages turning. But also, I write only nonfiction, so you can't make it up. It has to be true. So you have yeah. to take pieces and put them together in a way that keeps the reader's attention and, and keeps them going. So um, then I ended up, you know, writing um, The Last Ordinary Hour. And then now I'm, I'm working on my, I've, I've finished the manuscript that'll be um, published next year. So, but it all started with
0: a whisper to, to write it down so that those yeah. stories not be lost. So, Well, I admire your perseverance of spirit there to keep with that project for five years and keep mulling it over. Well, I I really, I thought, gosh,
1: it it can't be as hard as building an apartment building and raising $10 million. But I will tell you, Kara, I think it might be. I think (laughs) writing and publishing books is harder than building apartment buildings because it's just constantly kind of banging up against closed doors, you know, first trying to find an agent and then trying to you know get a publisher's attention and all of that um, can be very frustrating. so which is why now I teach publishing classes I teach both the business of of publishing what that looks like, helping um you know emerging authors or aspiring writers understand that. and also if once you decide that well I'm I'm not going to get that book contract then I, I teach a a self-publishing class on the 11 steps that it takes to publish a book and and how to get your words in the world. So
0: Yeah. And where do you teach these classes at?
1: So I teach them on um, a site that I started called womenfaithstory.com. And I teach workshops, retreats, and um, virtual. And the workshops and retreats are everything um, that really came out of The Last Ordinary Hour um, kind of more soul work. Um, I, I thought I had a, a really good understanding of, of God and the world. And then my husband had a, a rare disease crisis and um, it, it really changed what I needed to find in my faith. And that book became my study of of how to understand what had happened to us. Yeah. And, Um, I now teach workshops and lead retreats for people who are maybe looking for their next chapters and struggling with the the current storyline in their
0: life. Yeah. Well, we'll include that link in our show notes. I would love to have people be able to find you there.
1: Yeah, Um, thank you.
0: And that sounds like, right, we're all here trying to navigate life and difficult things are going to happen and difficult things are going to get placed in our lap and it's amazing that you kind of, you know, it makes you dig deeper, right? And figure out, help you make, you have to make sense of the world again, after something like that happens.
1: Well, and I think um, to me, it's not if it's going to, something's going to yeah. happen to you, it's, it's when, because I think that's when, when whatever that thing is, whether it's an unexpected death or an uh, an unwanted diagnosis, or or maybe, you know, a divorce that you didn't see coming in your life, the three D's, right. Death, mm-hmm. divorce, diagnosis, um, something like that is going to happen to each of us. And if you don't have a strong, um, I, I think a faith system and whatever that looks like, whatever that looks like to you, I think it's just as broad as believing in yourself and something bigger yeah. um, that it's tough to, it's tough to get up when you get knocked down and you have no way to get up. You really need some sort of framework and support system. And that's what I went looking for as I was writing The Last Ordinary Hour. It was just my own personal journaling project, but I started reading voraciously um, on On the, I needed books that were going to help me make sense of this world and navigate it and know that I was not the only one. Yeah. And that book also, um, which I didn't, Think I would ever publish, but I did. Um, includes the work of over thirty-five poets, theologians, writers who were struggling with these issues of grief and loss and death. And I, I read books on widowhood because my husband's rare disease. I was pretty sure I was going to be a widow, yeah. um, very early. And um, we are very amazingly, he is still here. Um, and um, many years pass what people thought he has a a disease called spontaneous coronary artery dissection, which means um, the arteries in his body can split at any time, causing a a heart attack, aneurysm or stroke. So you really are walking around day to day, almost like this ticking time bomb and you're not knowing what it's going to happen. And doctors are very kind um, again, clear as kind, but they tell you that there's no research. They don't know if it's going to happen again. And um they're they they're kind, but there's there's not much they can tell you. So yeah. you really are living with this diagnosis of radical uncertainty and which we know when you're first diagnosed with it, you think, oh my gosh, we're the only ones and then yeah. you finally look up and say, oh, we're part of this much broader world where people are struggling and dealing with things and and what do you do? So
0: yeah, and I imagine there's not like a diagnostic tool they can use. No, No. and that would
1: be so nice, Kara, but no, and we kept, I kept Googling for answers. I was sure there was a doctor somewhere somehow who, who was going to tell us the pill or the protocol or the test or the plan. And there was nothing. Um, So here we were two very type A control freak type people with an uh, uncurable, unsolvable disease. So um, that, that really was a a different kind of um, walk to figure out. What does that mean when that happens in your life? And then really just understanding it was our, it was our time. It was our turn to, to walk through something and, and find faith and hope despite the circumstance.
0: Yeah, Wow. Well, I commend you for writing about that in such a public way as well.
1: I commend my husband for being okay with me publishing it because he is a super private person. So it was just my own journaling project. He was fine with it. And then one day when I really was shaping into a manuscript and I was like, Hey, I, I actually think I might want to publish this because I, I think it could help other people. You know, there's a lot of people going through hard things. And, um, I think he wrestled with that. Um, but we, we finally did come to the, you know, he, he finally read it and, and said, okay, so yes, that is out in the world.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I was going to ask if his voice was in the book at all, or it really is your personal journey.
1: It is my personal journey with, you know, obviously conversations between us. And, you know, the interesting thing when, you know, you have a patient and a caregiver, which I think spouses, you know, become that for each other, right? The patient Mm -hmm. and the caregiver. What the patient remembers and what the caregiver remembers are two very different things. You know, my husband ended up having... Heart attack, multiple hospitalizations, open heart surgery, flatlined once for seven minutes. I mean, just all kinds of things. Well, those are all things that I vividly lived that he does not remember. Right. So he actually read the book. And when he got through, he was like, wow, I really wish this book was about somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) But he, you know, he was really reading it and living it almost for the first time because with anesthesia and all those things, you don't remember what's happening. Whereas the people in your life, the people who love you have watched you go through all those things and it's a different experience for them than it is for you. But then he has his own challenges living it and worrying about it every day.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's something I've never thought of in that being two different memories essentially of the same experience.
1: Yeah. And I think that's why I also, you know, I stopped reading a lot of fiction or, or, um, you know, medical mysteries were not what I wanted to read anymore. Yeah. I was reading a medical mystery or, you know, you'd be watching, even on Netflix, you'd be watching something and the person's having a heart attack. And you're like, mm, yeah, no,
0: yeah, I, too I don't want to
1: watch this. I don't, I don't want to it. yeah. Too close to home. Stop. No more, no more Grey's Anatomy for me. So, Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's amazing how that can happen. I have a hard time reading books at this point of my life about young children, that something happens to the young yes. child. And like you said, I think just because it's I have small children myself, and I'm like, I can't read about something bad happening to them. Yes. I don't even want to <laughs> let my brain go there.
1: Exactly. I don't want to stay at night, up at night thinking about that. So. Yeah. 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 Well, I
0: think this is a great segue to talk a little bit about who you are as a reader. So...
1: Well, I am, I've been reading, I grew up in El Paso, Texas, and I have vivid memories of my mother taking us to the public library every Saturday to walk up the stone steps to the children's section and pick out our books. So I think I started very early that that was the big thing to look forward to, you know, getting my own library card at six years old, so that I could read, I think, all the Marguerite Henry books. Mm -hmm. I'm (laughs) laughing right now that, um, you know, that, the movie's out. Are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. Like still so yeah. remember reading that book with, with my friends. So I don't know. I think I've always used books um to escape, uh, to learn, to, you know, find out things I didn't know. Um,
0: I I love reading. So yeah, it sounds like even in your what we've talked about earlier in the episode, just you've learned so much through books and different facets of your life.
1: Yes. And um my I have a writer's studio in my house and the shelves are almost categorized almost by times in my life. Like there's a shelf, a wide shelf that has all kind of my nonprofit books, my favorite ones that were telling me about that. I have books that, you know, talk about, you know, health and healing. I, I do still have my favorite fiction books and fiction authors, but yeah, they're almost categorized by time points in my life. Oh, that's perfect. So what type of books are you reading now? So I really I I dove deep into this the inspirational um, nonfiction phase. So um, that is a lot of, of what I read and spend my time reading um, authors that I love the way that they explain life to people. Um, those are those are my favorite authors right now.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm already thinking that's I'm part of a book club with a few friends, and this is books that we like to read. So I will be taking up your recommendations probably to our group and being like, what are we going to pick these up? (laughs) I hope you do. I love reading them in a group setting because I feel like when I read them, right, I have a conversation between, well, you know, a one-sided, but the author and me, and it's this very internal conversation. But when we take it to this small group, I'm able to apply it to my life more. I think because we talk about it and again, you're you're saying it to yourself a second time, and you're helping yeah. it make more sense. And then it's even stickier inside of you to be something you might apply to your life or a way you might think of or approach a situation. Yes. And, and
1: everyone's bringing in their own experiences. Yeah. They think about it in different ways. So even um, I'm part of a book club, and a fiction book we read recently it was called Horse by Geraldine Brooks. Okay, and there was something in the ending. I loved the book. I loved the structure. She had all these characters and wove it. And there was something in the end that I just didn't even understand. I thought this, what, what does this even mean? And it was talking about this crazy museum in Australia, and I didn't even think that it was real. Yet someone in my book club had lived in Australia, and this it was a real. Wow. <laughs> And it completely changed the ending of the book for me. I mean, I was putting the book down thinking, why did she end it that way? That made no sense. And here was someone in my book club who had direct experience with this museum and explained the whole situation that completely changed how I saw the book and saw the ending. So I do think when you are in community and discussing books, people can bring in their own experiences that will change things for the way we look at at life or how we look at even a book. So.
0: Yeah, I I love what you're saying there because I i have thinking I have a few books that came to mind as you were saying that where I maybe ended in I'm like yeah I didn't love that and then but you talk about it like well then I liked it more because I understood more. <laughs> so, okay, well, and then you have so graciously prepared a book flight for us today. Yes, I know.
1: I love the idea of your podcast that this is um, how you you know introduce readers to new authors and new ideas and new books. I love this idea of a book.
0: Yeah. And for, I've said it on the, episodes before but there's so many wonderful books out there so i just viewed this oh. as we have so little time to read great books but let's have some trusted sources come on and tell us the books that we should read and help us navigate the waters of so many wonderful reads out there
1: it's, it's a great idea and i love that you created this podcast
0: yeah well thank you so what is your book flight about today so book flight for me is the kind
1: of the three authors that when I was really struggling and trying to, to find answers who I I really look to as guides. And as I was preparing this book flight, I realized that within with each author, there's actually three books that kind of a sub flight to the flight. So okay. um, the the first author is Barbara Brown Taylor. If you don't know her, she wrote one of my favorite books is learning to walk in the dark. Okay. And, um, she was actually, this book was on the cover of time magazine in 2014. Oh. It's not happened to a lot of authors. It certainly does not happen to a lot of, um, inspirational nonfiction authors, yeah, um, wow. but she was also named one of the hundred most influential people in that year alongside Beyonce and Pope Francis. So wow. I mean, <laughs> She is an unbelievable author, probably the most incredible author anyone's never heard of, right? But okay. uh, she lives a very quiet life in Georgia. Um, and I think that's also why I love her is because there's so much pressure on authors these days to be on book TikToks and out in social media and doing them. And um, Barbara Brown Taylor just quietly writes some of the best books you might never have heard of um, in Georgia and, and puts out great ideas and and great content, um, very quietly without social media. So yeah, that's amazing. Learning to walk in the dark, um, is kind of about finding faith in dark times when it's hard. Yeah. Um, she also wrote a book called, um, an altar in the world, which is finding sacred in the everyday. Love that. And she wrote a book called holy envy, um, finding God in the faith of other others. So it's a complete a spiritual compendium of all different kinds of religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, Sufism, Judaism, and um, she's an Episcopal priest herself. And so okay. she had left the church and was teaching religion and taught this religious survey course and Holy envies about that. So you really get to see all the world religions and, and take pieces and parts and understand them in a way that you might not have. So... But I think if you start with one Barbara Brown Taylor book, it would be learning to walk in the dark, especially if you're going through anything difficult in your life. Um, It's a, I don't know, it's a
0: masterclass. Yeah. Oh, I'm definitely going to have to pick that up. And also I'm thinking that Alter in the World. I don't know if it's about this, but I feel like some days you're kind of mired in parenthood, right? And just the busyness of that, but finding that, you know, the simple and everyday, would be a great message for my world right now.
1: Yes, No, it's great. And, you know, like she was an Episcopal priest for seven years and part of a big church. And she ended up, she also wrote a book called leaving church. And, you know, it was the idea that she, she wasn't finding God in the, in the pew and in the place. And so she ended up really searching and, and finding a different kind of spirituality. So yeah. anyway, right. Oh. Yeah, I I've, I've met her before and she really is just when you read her on the page, you think, oh my gosh, I just want to sit and talk with her. And and you do. She is exactly like her books. So just very written in very simple, plain language. It's not a lot of um, certainty and shoulds. It's a very open-ended invitation to spirituality. So I really love her writing and her work.
0: Yeah. And I've heard that she is the narrator on her learning to walk in the dark. She reads her own book as the audio book oh. and that it's absolutely fantastic because well, she's reading I,
1: it. I have um, I've not listened to it. That would probably make me want to re-listen to it because I have started, I only re- recently started doing audio books. Okay. And if I really love a book, I'll get both. I'll get the audio book and listen to it. And then I'll have a hard copy that I can underline my favorite passages. Um, so I did not know that about this, but yeah. so I, I think I'm thinking I'm be walking to that one this summer. Does have a beautiful voice. Yeah. List. And yeah. that's
0: what he said. He, he's like, it was just absolutely mesmerizing yeah. listening to her read this book.
1: Yeah. And as a, you know, she still preaches. So she does have this really kind of soothing, calming, yeah. you know, presence. So,
0: Okay. Okay, well, you just well, taught me something back. I can't wait. Yay. Okay, so that was Barbara Brown Taylor. We'll have Learning to Walk with the Dark as our official book flight. And then listeners, don't worry, I'll have all the books listed in the show notes for the sub book flight of that one. Yeah. <laughs> What's the second book of our pairing?
1: Um, The second one is Kate Bowler, Everything Happens and Other Lies I've Loved. And so if you don't know <laughs> Kate Bowler, um, she has a great podcast called Everything Happens. Okay. Um, She's written several books, um, but starting with Everything Happens and Other Lies I've Loved, she's a New York Times bestselling author, podcaster. She's a professor at Duke Divinity School. Okay. um, And she calls herself an incurable optimist. And she was someone who was diagnosed with stage four cancer, wow. and so again had to um, figure out, well, gosh, w- what does this mean? I yeah. here I am, you know, I'm a, a divinity professor. I thought I was living this really, you know, kind of good. I put that in air quotes, good life. And how does someone like me get cancer? And she had a she had a young son, and she worried about, you know, leaving him um, wow. without a, a mom. So kind of in her same thing in her own struggle to make sense of her world. Um, She, she wrote this book and then she's continued to write in this vein, her podcast, she interviews people who are going through hard things. So I've listened to and walked to her podcast so many times, especially um, when we were, you know, we've been dealing with my husband's disease for 10 years, but it just made me feel better to listen to other people who were dealing with hard things and still walking around and, and, you know, being an incurable optimist despite things. And so she has great guests on her podcast. Um, She also has a book called No Cure for Being Human, which I think is a fantastic title. Okay. Um, And she has a new book out called The Lives. Um, We actually have a hundred blessings for, you know, hard times. So she she just writes in this very wise and funny way. Um, It is sometimes books about, serious subjects like dying could be very you know um pessimistic or gloomy and she and she's the opposite I mean they're they're funny they're you know and it's full of wisdom and practicality and so you know I just I'm a huge Kate bowler fan
0: yeah I'm gonna have to check out her podcast It's amazing when you read something and just how you get that glimmer of hope when you know you are not the only one dealing with these same issues yeah.
1: Yes. And she's Canadian. So she has a little bit of a funky accent. So it's every once in a while, you know, so she's again, her voice is great to listen to
0: as well. I'm pretty sure she reads her own audio books too. Okay. All right. Yes. in the busyness of life right now, I do a lot of audiobooks when I'm folding laundry or doing dishes.
1: And... <laughs> I, book last night is I chopped carrots or something. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I come in from a walk where I'm listening. I was like, Oh, I don't want to turn off the chapter yet. So you like follows you into the house and into the kitchen. So yeah, yeah. I'm audio books as
0: well. Yes, so. I'm like, I, I do so much more cleaning when I'm listening. I'm like, pleasantly distracted. I know, right?
1: <laughs> yes. it will really take time folding my shirts
0: and laundry because I'm listening to a good book. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that was Kate Bowler. Everything mm-hmm. happens and other lies I've loved. I, I love yeah. that book title too. That's a- I know.
1: Well, that's what I'm saying. She's such a mixture of just, you know, she's kind of like your wisest, funniest, best friend, you know, to just say, look, it's going to be okay, you know, yeah. so-
0: okay all right and that's a new author to me too i'm not familiar with her so thank you for sharing that
1: yeah she's um and she has i think she has seven books um but in your short flight i just gave you three thank you Um, yes um and then father greg boyle um tattoos on the heart if you're not familiar father greg boyle he's a priest and um in california um who was working in in a really tough um Parish in LA, and he was so dismayed by all um, the gang activity and the the shootings and everything that was happening, and people just feeling hopeless about their lives. Yeah. So in 1988, he founded something called Homeboy Industries. It's the largest and most successful gang intervention and rehabilitation program in the world. Wow. He um, Homeboy, w- what it does is it allows it's it's a place of belonging um, for people. So uh, he his premise was people join gangs because they, they need a place to belong, and a gang is giving them, for better or for worse, a, yeah. a place. So what if we gave them a different place to belong? And it comes not only with a belonging, but also with employment. And so Homeboy Industries has all of these social enterprises. There's a t-shirt business. There's a, you know... All, so many things, a bakery, uh, books, like all kinds of things where he offers employment and people come in from different gangs, from rival gangs. Wow. and they're, they're working together side by side and he offers tattoo removal and, and things to really help people leave gang life and have a different way of belonging. And so um, tattoos on the heart is the power of boundless compassion is the subtitle to that one. So not only helping you understand the the, the gang life, but, but why someone might be drawn to that, how he started Homeboy Industries, great stories from the people wow. who've come in. He's been given the California Peace Prize and named a White House Champion of Change. The guy is just legendary. Um, he also wrote Barking to the Choir, which is the power of radical kinship. And his newest one is The Whole Language, The Power of Extravagant Tenderness. And he reads his own audiobooks. and I, especially the whole language. And um, that's his newest one. He reads that one. And it's so great because if you were reading the page, you would never, um, he does like voice impressions of some of his <laughs> own voice. he will be like, Hey, essay, you know, it yeah. breaks into character and then back to himself. So again, that one is like wise and funny at the same time, but he really, his, um, view on life on how every problem if we could just solve it instead of an us and them mentality as a we yeah. and we belong to each other and um, we all rise together we all fall together and i just love the way he thinks about life and who our neighbor is and how we should love that neighbor so i just think yeah. he's a giant inspiration um, on how we all should
0: live this life yeah that and that's the whole language that one because that sounds like what I've been really trying to teach my children along the way right of like because it just seems like we're keep going down this road of this division and we're all so different and I'm like I think oh yeah we might have other ideas about things but we're, we're more similar than we are different at the exactly. end of the day but right. it's like we we hook on to this we're so different in this one belief and then you automatically cancel the yeah. person Everything. And I, I, we're really, I think, doing ourselves a disservice in doing that.
1: Yeah. And if these guys can find ways to come together and stop shooting each other day yeah. to day, certainly can't we all find ways to, to come together on, on much smaller, easier issues. Yeah. So he really, I, yeah, I think Father Greg's work should probably be required reading for humans, just
0: yeah.
1: his deep experience, his amazing stories the way he took one of the hardest problems to solve and, and solved it. Um, And he, you've ever listened to his, he doesn't have a podcast. He's been on a lot of podcasts. So I've listened to a lot of interviews with him. Um, And he always is just, I don't know, your, your wisest, kindest grandfather, smartest sage voice you ever want to listen
0: to. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. These are all books I'm definitely gonna be picking up. So this is Father Greg Boyle will go with tattoos on the heart. And I've been thinking as you've been chatting about a dessert pairing for you as a little gift for coming on the show. Oh, good. Um, so I have two books that came to mind. One is have you heard of on fire? I've talked about it on the show. A lot on fire. No, uh, Okay. Well, by John O'Leary. No, uh-uh. Okay, so this one, it kind of goes along your vein of the whispers and listening yeah. to them. Or the other book that I'm thinking of for you is um The Prison Angel. Yeah, and... oh, this is I love it. Okay, so would you like me to ex- – I can expand on one of them for you if you'd like. Yeah. So this is more of a memoir about a woman that lived here where I live, well, kind of, Beverly Hills, and she saw – the issues and, um, just the utter depravity in the Tijuana prison. And so it's her story of trying to go down to Tijuana and help these prison inmates down there.
1: Oh my gosh. I love it. And, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that I'm grew up in El Paso, Texas, which okay. is a border with Juarez Mexico. And so I am, that is deeply imprinted in my heart right now, as we see all the, you know, issues at the border and immigration. And just think, oh my gosh, what can one person do to help solve for that? So I will be, that will be a summer read for me. Thank you. Okay.
0: Yeah. She is, um, she actually had raised a family. Her, her name was Mary Clark and she had raised a family and I think they had maybe three or four children, um, it was not a great marriage, but she started with bringing clothes down to the Tijuana prison and then just realized kind of similar to your story of that there was a much bigger problem going on than just bringing these people close. Right. And what could she do about it? And she was, um, I can't remember if she was related to Hollywood or her family was related to Hollywood, but she had a pretty influential circle. So she started raising funds and raising money, but she was thinking that wasn't enough. And so she goes to live in this prison in Tijuana.
1: You are kidding.
0: No, she goes. Oh my God. Yeah,
1: she- I can't wait. I'm going to be, we're going to be hanging up and
0: I'm going to be ordering <laughs> it on Amazon. Thank you. So she goes, she lives in this prison because she wanted to bring faith, to these people and humanity and it's one of the most dangerous prisons in the world i believe that she goes and lives in as all there's drug trafficking right of the cat in tijuana yeah. and she puts herself after many years of going down and doing this kind of more mission work where she was bringing things to the prison she puts the, herself in the prison to bring mm-hmm. faith and she's many times she goes and tries to ask the catholic church to become a sister to become a nun But she was divorced. And so she's being denied by the church. But eventually, she does get there. So you could read the book and how that happens. Um, But yeah, it was an incredible story.
1: As you were talking, I was reminded of there's a quote by Father Greg Boyle, just because he loves to remind people that, you know, while you might originally be going to do something for someone else, what really happens is you are changed. Right. And so he says, um, you don't go to the margins um, to transform others. You go to the margins to be transformed. Yeah. And so just that understanding that the, yeah, it's not about the clothes. It's not about the soup. There's bigger issues, which changes how you see a problem, which changes what you're willing to do about it. And then you can never unsee it. Yeah. So what are you gonna do? Um, well, I guess some people become nuns. That's not Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just admirable um at the most. But but yeah, I just even in the little ways that working alongside someone for change ultimately changes you. And that's really the, the bigger point and the bigger reason to do it. If if not, how will you fix somebody, but how will you be changed? So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think as you were talking, as you've been talking through your episode, that was the book that was kind of pinging in. I was like, I think that would be a really great fit. Oh my gosh, I'm so this. glad!
1: you told me about it. I never heard about it. Maybe you know, it's one of those things because it's your part of the world. It's everyone knows about it here, but here I am on the other side of the country, never heard of it. So, and I and don't
0: know that I just had a friend recommend it to me. She's like, Hey, I think you would love this. Talk so much about this area where we're living, and and she's from a military family as well. But she was like. I just loved the story. And I think you would too. So I don't know how popular it is. But it ended up in my lap via recommendation as well. So
1: (laughs) sometimes that's it, right? It's the
0: book that you're meant to read at that time. So absolutely. Well, I think this has been a fantastic conversation about our book flight. But let's finish with our bonus pairings, which are just the speed round of questions here. Yes. So where is your favorite place to read? Um, in my little writer studio, I have a
1: certain chair and that's where I read and write. And I'm usually there every morning. Love it.
0: So you have a set time in your day that you're writing? I do.
1: I okay. call it my golden hour and anyone who's trying to, to write or or create, I would encourage them to find your golden hour. For me, it's probably um, anywhere from 530 to eight in the morning. And okay. I don't set my alarm. I just wake up and um, find myself I don't turn on the lights. I stay in the dark, get my tea, um, sit in my chair, and either I'm writing that morning or I'm reading that morning, but um, it's kind of my quiet time, kind of like you. When you do your podcasting and when you're recording, is that early morning before your kids wake up. Same thing for me. I try to read and write early in the morning before the world wakes up.
0: Yeah. I've always loved this part of the day because there's a quietness to it that I feel like the evening hours don't have. I agree. I love it. Yeah. Okay. And then we've well, already answered what is one book that has changed your life? Yeah,
1: I think if I quit my job and, and raise money, that, that one pretty much, that would be it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. What about one, what is one book you've read that has intimidated you?
1: Yeah, I think um, Sue Monk Kidd, The Book of Longings. I loved oh. that book. And as I was reading that as a writer, I kept thinking the research she had to do to create this book, to understand it. Some of her characters have these really intricate conversations. Okay. And I think, gosh, what did she have? She had to know so much to write both sides of that, that conversation, both from a historical perspective, from a theological perspective. I am, I am wowed by that book. And also it's audacious. The, the, the book is about, um, you know, a woman in biblical times who wanted to be a scholar in a, and, right, which was not allowed. But even beyond that, it was imagining um if Jesus had a wife yeah. and the book is about Jesus's wife, which, you know, I think some people have really, you know, called her a heretic for, you know, even though it's fiction, sure. writing that book. So I think it took bravery. I think it's just really smart and well written. And so yeah, I'm I'm kind of intimidated and awed and wowed by that book.
0: So. Yeah. I've had this one on my TBR. I just have not picked it up, but now I'm going to read it with your insight as a writer, right. Of like how she paired, put those two sides together to be well, able to write the dialogue. It's a great audio book. Okay. I,
1: li- I listened to it in the pandemic. I remember just long gray rainy days where there was nothing going on and I was listening to it and it's a great, um, it's a good audio book. Yeah. Okay. I love the person um who read it, which is not her, but
0: yeah. Oh, awesome. I'm gonna go it library holds. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And then are you a rereader?
1: Hardly ever. Okay. Um, although now I might be a re-listener, right? Okay. <laughs> like learning to walk in the dark is an yeah. audio, then I'm gonna re-listen. What I do is I um I mark up a book all the time. And then on my shelves are the books that, you know, even in I have hundreds of books in my on my shelves, but I only keep them if I can look at the spine and remember why I wanted that book. Otherwise it's time to give it away. Um so I can pull a book out, remember why I wanted it, flip to where I underlined it. I'll do that. But I probably never sit and reread a book.
0: Yeah. That's the, I'm the same and I don't keep many books because we move so frequently as part of it. But it's I, heavy. Yeah. <laughs> books heavy. It's a heavy hobby this book. Yeah. So. I love giving them But as I'm reading, I love, you know, thinking about who, what friend would love this book. And then most often than not, it's because I'm mailing it to them because now we've moved away from whoever it is I'm thinking about. So yes. Yeah. And then lastly, what are you reading next?
1: Up next is um, Covenant of Water, Abraham (sighs) Bergesi. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, I've loved him. He has an El Paso connection. He was a doctor in El Paso. And um, he wrote a book called The Tennis Partner. And, um, he played tennis with my father who died 26 years ago. Um, wow. and so I've always had a love for Abraham for Gacy in his writing. Okay. He wrote cutting for stone, which I loved when that book yes. ended. I just, that was one. I just wanted to start over the minute I, I finished it. And so when I heard he had written a new one, um, I ordered it. It's so thick. I don't know if you've seen it. I hope not. I've heard of it. It's, but... like, it's like 723 pages. And so even before Oprah picked it as her next pick, I wanted it. I had it on my to-do, my up next reading. So anyway, I'm I'm really glad for him. He's he's a beautiful writer. He's, you know, a great doctor and humanitarian. So I'm glad that his book is having such success. So can't wait to
0: read it. Yes. Yeah. I This is also on my TBR because Cutting for Stone was a fantastic book. Right? I loved that book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know your time is precious and I appreciate all that you've given me.
1: Oh, well, you gave me back and I'm going to be ordering the prison angel right now. So thank you.
0: You are very welcome. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation today with Kathy Izzard. Her book flight today focuses on inspirational nonfiction. We'd love to hear what other books you would pair with this book flight at bookishflights.com. That is also where you can find more information on today's flight and any other books that we talked about today. I want to inspire a community of readers. So whenever you share a post about what you are reading or what you are picking up next, especially if you have heard about the book on the show, please tag us follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Bookish Flights. This is a brand new show. So if you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a review. Your review not only helps me, but it also helps the show reach others. Make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to make sure that you will not miss an episode. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As Emma Thompson said, I think books are like people in the sense that they'll turn up in your life when you most need them. Cheers to you, dear readers. Until next time.